0: It, um, it's it's wonderful. It's it's. I'm so pleased that there are some from the USA that are on as well. And uh, it is July 4th, and occasionally we have been in the states uh, at, uh, on Independence Day. And of course, Hazel has a marvelous celebration because they send off all the pu- the um, fireworks for her, <laughs> and um, it, it's a remarkable thing, and it's also a remarkable thing what is happening, you know, in the United States. We, you know we're at war, and um, we're at war, the, the church is at war, and, you know, this is so evident in the United States, in North America, the war between the things of God. I mean, if you trace everything, strip away all the verbiage, all the noise, all the voices and so on, you, you will have heard of a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Um, and Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a soldier in the Second World War in the Soviet Union. And he... Because he, while he was not a Christian, he was somewhat outspoken and uh, against the regime. He was shoved off to the gulags, you know, those horrible work camps that were in Siberia and places like that. And during that time, he became the Lord's, the testimony of a, I think it was a Baptist man, helped him a great deal. And, of course, in those days, the people of God were being thrown into those places. Anyone who disagreed with Stalin and Khrushchev and, and Brezhnev and so on, they were thrown in. Uh, to those places and he turned to the Lord and the Lord opened his eyes greatly and there's no doubt about it he was a prophetic voice one of the characteristics of truly prophetic ministry is not so much that they're saying thus saith the Lord this shall happen to Canada thus saith the Lord this shall happen to the United States the true prophetic ministry uh, discerns the underlying issues that are go they see the war um, they're not particularly interested in thus saith the lord uh, you should go and stand on your head in the middle of, so- of the shopping mall and so and so in a, an orange um, t-shirt will come along this is the sort of shallow notions of the prophetic ministry that is in some quarters. Um, but the real prophetic ministry discerns. And he began to write books that were illegally published in the Soviet Union. Um, A Day in the Life of Ivan. Um, I've forgotten the other name, but it was his first one, I think. And <clears throat> so in wonderful ways he wrote truth and in the end the regime got sick of him and they threw him out they got rid of him and his wife into the United States and in those days by the way he was a Nobel Prize winner in 1970 uh, when he was still uh, in somewhat incarcerated so but anyway he would lecture in the United States and overseas. He was in places like Princeton and Harvard. And he lectured in many, many quarters and was fated and loved because of uh, both the fact that he was a Christian and that he was saying things that in a way was exposing Communism, its falseness, socialism and its falseness and all the the rocks that this world espouses and it builds upon. And, of course, the last address I think that he gave was 1983 and he more or less um, came out and he was sneered at and he was mocked by the students i think i'm right this was almost the last time they laughed him because he he said america the united states is going to go the same way into socialism because people were asking this question why is this happening to us and his very short reply was this uh, the United States and mankind have forgotten God. That is why this is happening to us. Mankind has forgotten God. That's why this is happening to us. And that, that quote is vital. For us to understand, blessed are ye if you are coming and God is in your memory, God is in your past, God is in now. Uh, you know that the title for today, probably we won't get far on this one, but the title for today is God is the rock rebellion and the rod and you all know that we've been doing this kind of series you could say that's around the issues of deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land and we've looked at that in different aspects and you know this morning, or lunchtime it is for us, it's at late lunch time, I want to really emphasise the rock. Now, something God as our rock. And, you know, we had an illustration of this this week. So suddenly at our door was a very distraught 83-year-old man. Oh, no. And sorry? Oh, no. and, and and um he I could see by his face through our glass door that he was in great distress. And anyway, I won't go into all the story. It involves a tragic accident related to their family. It involves the fact that again related to the family uh one of the sons and his wife had had to get out of their house complete with all their possessions in the space of about four hours and had nowhere to put their possessions. Could I drive a van? Did I have access to a removal van? Um, and how could I, we help them and, um, you know, big, big things. And as I looked at him, verses in uh, Exodus 33 or 32 came to my heart. Their rock is not like unto our rock. And, and what happened is his wife went off to try and find a van, managed to get removalists. It was a massive problem. And they began to move furniture into the house and um, along with everything. So their house is jam-packed with two households of furniture, Western style, and a real mess. And the the, the driver of the vehicle that was involved in the accident almost the same day, looks as though he may not survive. The vehicle turned over, caught fire, tragedy. So, of course, we had um, the 83-year-old in, and he sat down, and we Hazel prepared a meal for him. And we sat together, and to his shock, even though he knows who we are, uh, I said, well, "Well, let's pray. We'll pray about it all, and we prayed." And it, it, uh, and as we talked afterwards and shared, he was clearly shocked about bringing it all to prayer. But you know, this fact of our rock is not. Uh, or their rock is not like our rock. So if you turn to Deuteronomy 32, um, you'll find, of course, here's Moses in prophetic mode, discerning the deep issues, the deep issues. Now, right now, as I talk to you, there is someone not more than 50 meters away from me, uh, very high up in London, in a certain soccer club that I will not a football club, which I will not mention the name of. And she holds a very high position. And she's been living with a woman for years. They're lesbian. And then the other woman left her. And she's alone. And again, her rock, lesbianism, LB, etc., etc., you know it all. It's exposed that, that her rock is not like unto our rock, you know. And she is devastated just as this 83-year-old man and family are devastated. And, you know, when people forget God, they build on another rock of their own making. And sooner or later, the rock they build on proves to be sand. And here... In the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy, you will look at verse 4, for instance. And dear Moses is speaking in this prophetic vein and uh, talking about things. Give ear, O heavens. This is verse 1 of Deuteronomy 32. And, and I will speak and hear, O earth. The words of my mouth, let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. It's strange the way the prophet speaks, isn't it? Um, you know, speaking to the heavens, speaking to the earth as Talking about his teaching, his speech will distill as the dew, raindrops on the tender herb, and showers on the grass. You know, isn't it amazing how in the days of creation, in, X, in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let the dry land appear. You remember that? let this happen, let that happen, and so on. And wonder of wonders, matter that was already created, obeyed. So there was a firmament between the heavens and the earth. There was, you know, the the earth obeyed, the ground came out of the sea, in a way, it, it was so obedient. Of course, it was obedient. It had no will that says no to God. It, it, it obeyed. Let the ground bring forth. Let this happen. Let that happen. Let the other happen. And, and matter had no will of its own and said, no, no, I don't want to be like that. It obeyed. It obeyed, and oh, that men's hearts, for instance, were like this. You know, where Moses is talking, and he's saying, "Oh heavens, you know, hear! I know you all hear me. Hear, oh earth, that's the soil. I know you all hear me. Oh, that man's uh, soul was like the tender herb." You know, the tender herb, raindrops on the tender herb. The tender herb will obey me. It'll hear the word of the Lord. Showers, the grass will hear me. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. And then he says this our God, the rock, his work. Is perfect. Keep that very clear in mind um, that if you will be as responsive as the grass, if you and I will be as responsive as the herb and receive the speech and the will of God, then his work in you will be perfect. His work in you, even when things are distorted in this and that, and sin is, in, uh, is working around and about you. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright, is he? I hope that you will notice that Moses, in prophetic vein, does not declare first uh, that God is love. He declares the greatness, justice, truth, without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And then he begins to prophetically discern what is going to happen to the nation. Uh, they corrupted themselves. They are not his children. Perverse and crooked generation. And so the, he carries on. And then you get down to verse 13. And it says, uh, now he's talking about his sons, his people. Uh, the children of Israel in their early days. He says this, that verse 13, He made him ride in the heights of the earth, that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock, and oil from the flinty Rock. He's talking about as God was going to bring them into the land of promise. This was the their future temporarily. It was, and notice very carefully that where the honey came from and where the oil came from. I'll bring you into a land of milk and honey. And oil, you remember these words, and so he the curds from the cattle, it all came from the rock. And then you travel on down to verse fifteen, but Jeshurun, that's a that's a pet name for the children of Israel. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked, you grew fat, you grew thick, you are obese. Then he forsook God who made him, and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation, scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation, they provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods, isn't it remarkable? And I, when I just mention it's Fourth of July, it's Independence Day uh, in the United States celebration. And I'm thinking of uh, one of the universities who I believe today are going to demonstrate as a whole university in non-celebration of Independence Day. I think it's in Georgia, but I can't quite remember. You know, oh, when people forsake God the Rock, inevitably... Inevitably, they move into this place where they forsake God and they scornfully esteem the rock of salvation. Scornfully esteem the rock of our salvation. Yesterday I was on a um, uh, what do you call it, not a WhatsApp call, the other lot, Viber call with someone, a pastor in Cyprus, and I want to tell you this story. Uh, he's a friend, and um, one of the things that hit Cyprus is the worst wildfire ever, and they are absolutely afraid that if it spreads up into the mountains, it could devastate the whole island. But John, that's his name, he was on to me, and he told me this story, and I want you to listen to this, because it's important. He's a dear brother. I first got involved with him after the war in Cyprus in 1974, when the Turks came in and... Um, Anyway, uh, you know, the churches came into being then, so 1974. And one of the things that's happened in Cyprus is gradually the churches have gone to sleep. And uh, they, they have turned to other things. And, and John was talking to me. He said, Bernard, uh, I had made up my mind to essentially leave the church that I am part of, and uh, to just give myself to ministry elsewhere, um, to other groups, and so on and so on. And then he said, uh, one by one, there were three invitations, one by one, they all shut down. And one by one, in the space of a few hours, Phone calls, sorry, John, we can't receive you, there is a problem, etc., etc., etc. And he said, That's happened. And then he said, I met a couple of the brothers in the church. And we sat and we talked, two brothers, separate conversations. And he said, For the first time, there was profound concern in a couple of the other leaders in the church. He said, and as we conversed, they independently were coming to this decision. We must cancel Sunday morning meetings as we've been having them. No more communion. Uh, what bread and wine for a while no more preaching and singing, singing, singing. We must turn the Sunday morning meeting into prayer. And we must call on God. And he said to me, what do you think, Bernard? And I said, this is God, I said. The fact that there is a travail in your hearts that you want to seek God's face. And I said to him, do you know uh, that uh, there was a brother in California, so we're now in America, who phoned me in about 1991 in Australia when we were living there. And I," he said to me, we have lost all sense of identity, all sense of the presence of the Lord in our church. We just go through the motions. And what do you think? We just feel, many of us, we want to close down. Just close the church. And... Uh, he said to me what do you think Bernard and I remember very clearly the conversation it was a long one and in those days a very expensive one and do you know I said to him I will tell you what I would do you have lost all sense of identity or sense of calling it has become blurred in your understanding and uh, in the understandings of your people I said to him, cancel Sunday morning meetings as you have always known them. So stop the singing, stop the preaching, stop the communion time. And uh, I said, just gather and say to everybody, we are going to meet at such and such a time, and we're just going to sit before God and begin to call upon him and i said do that for six weeks and in the week turn every meeting that you've normally had house meetings and so on instead of having house meetings all gather together on the same ground and seek god's face and in particular lord Renew the vision. Renew the sense of calling. Lord, renew in our hearts that we have a right and a calling to be a church. Or should we all disband and just go our own separate ways to other groups? And I said, do that for six weeks. And I said, in the course of the six weeks, there will rise in you all, from the deepest places of your hearts, a sense of who you are, what God wants of you. It will rise from the deepest places in your heart. And, and there I left the call and about two or three and I said do it with fasting those of you who want to make it voluntary those of you who want to and it's radical advice radical counsel I know but within two to three weeks I gave him a bell and I said uh, how are things going what has happened? And he said, in the whole church within two weeks, there was such a rising of assurance from God deep in our hearts that we had the right to exist as a church, the right to meet, to gather that the you see they'd come to the rock that's what had happened to them they discovered the rock again um that's what happened and you you will all be well aware of the blessed lord jesus when he in what's called the sermon on the mount you know i'll just I'll just read it to you where at the end of his lengthy sermon uh, he 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 says this that's what they call it um, he he says this doesn't he um, anyone who hears these sayings of mine and does them this is matthew seven we're going to go back to uh, to the Deuteronomy chapter, but this is Matthew 7, 24. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. You see people by the voices that are sounding and the warfare that's going on in the United States and the noise that's being bleated by all the stuff. That's sounding from universities and politicians and so on. It it means that people are they they're losing a sense of the rock of God, the Rock. Amen. Amen, and uh, not amen to uh, to the fact that they're losing sight of the rock. But amen to the fact that you never get back solidly on the rock until you strip away the noises, strip away the, all the nonsense that's going away and get back to what hath God said to you. That's the rock. Now, I know these things are simple. I know they're simple. But this is what it says in verse 28. After Jesus finished, it says... And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. That was the distinction. He taught them as one who had authority. Evidently, there was no such sound in the voice of the scribes. Opinions, ideas, schemes, methodologies. The churches of today, especially in the West, are full of experimentation, full of ideas. Let's have more music. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do the other. And my brothers and sisters, these churches will not stand. They are built upon the sand of men's ideas. But Jesus, he spoke with authority. Now, the word authority, and this is other people's testimony, it is a Greek word, exousia. Exousia. And it's made up of two words in the Greek. First word is ousia, which means being, what your being is. And the other short word, E-K, or in English, ex, uh, X, it is the preposition that means out of. So the word exousia means that Jesus was speaking out of his being. Out of his being being out of what he was let's ask him lord jesus what is the secret of your wonderful life i am built my humanity establishing my being upon the rock of my father the rock of my father now We've just come and rushed back from a meeting in one of the churches that we try to help in the area. And it was a good meeting, very mixed people. And we rushed back in the rain and through the traffic jam. And, <clears throat> you know, this, the brother who was speaking there is a barber, a hair cutter, you know. Uh, let me just think, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. What's the wonderful uh, Bahasa word for hair? I've forgotten. You know, you what's those wonderful... wonderful rambut. Fruit, rambut. Fruit? Sorry? Rambutan. Rambutans, that's right. Uh, rambut, rambut, rambut hair. So he's a, he's a man who... By the way, those of you who don't know, rambutans are beautiful fruit that have all this long hair on them, <laughs> on the shell or the outside casing. But anyway, rambut, and uh, you know, he's a barber and he spoke, and he one of the things he said was he was talking to us about obedience. And he said this, God didn't give a great book full of instructions to Joshua about uh, about Jericho. He, he said, he just said to him, walk round it and let the priests blow the trumpets. Walk round it. Once first day, once second day. Once third day, once fourth day, once fifth day, once sixth day. And on the seventh day, seven times. Let's wear you out good and, you know, so that you've walked a long, long walk. Let's all your natural strength perish. And uh, so the man said, right, everybody, uh, you know, he walked. He walked. He just stepped on the ground. It's a, a a wooden floor, and you could hear his feet going, what do you hear? So all those people in Jericho, what did they hear? Two things. First of all, they heard the noise of all these feet walking, walking. And the other thing they heard was because they were walking, they heard the trumpets, the silver trumpets, not shofars, the silver trumpets sounding. So the people in Jericho became petrified because they heard people obeying, walking in obedience to the simple word of God, walking, 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 walking. Can you imagine three million people marching round Jericho? marching around and the, the noise of their feet obedience and uh, the noise of the trumpets the silver trumpets blaring out and this struck fear in the hearts of the people dwelling in Jericho hallelujah and I know that this is true that in the spirit, there must be those who are gathering unto the Lord, finding the rock again, becoming conscious of the rock and walking in obedience. So that church in California, God said to them, exist, meet, gather, and they still are today. And they have been through some tough times mm-hmm. through the latter years. And, you know, even last year, the one of the new leaders has been on to me and uh, we were talking and I said to him, do you know God's calling? Do you know that God brought you here? I was bringing him back to the rock and he said, yes, yes, yes. And do you know, <clears throat> it's wonderful, really. I heard from them. Uh, just yesterday, or Hazel didn't heard from his wife, that people coming in now are almost seeing a new church, because there are so there are more young people coming in, turning away from the you know this that and the other. And I don't want to go on into it, but you're understanding me that I hope. Um, it's a simple, simple word. But, you know, I go back into Deuteronomy 32 and I, I look at that wonderful prophetic utterance. And I come to verse 18 where, um, you know, again, of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful. And have forgotten the God who fathered you. Now, remember, this is prophetic. And so Moses is looking down the centuries to the states into which the Old Testament congregation is going to become. They're going to become those who forget, who turn to other gods and other ideas, and so on. And uh, they've forgotten the God who fathered them. You know, the rock who begot you. Look at the language. Look at the language. This <laughs> language of fathering, this language of begotten. You see, have I got rock in me? Or have I just got the Bible in me? And there's a question. Have I got God's DNA in me? That will not shift for the 21st century. That which God has fathered in me, God has begotten in me. Amen. And so important. Then I, I run on very quickly to verse 30 and verse 31. Uh, oh he says in verse 29 oh that they were wise that they understood this that they would consider their latter end you see that it says how could one chase a thousand or two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them now this is where it starts to get really serious really serious. You see, because they had gotten to a stage where they'd forgotten God, turned to other gods, to other ideas. And lo and behold, the rock, their rock sold them and the Lord had surrendered them. Now, this is the peril, and mark this clearly, this is the peril into which the churches are falling in these days. I have seen this taking place in my spirit for 20 to 30 years, especially in, in charismatic circles that were once um, alive with a birth from God in 60s, 70s, 80s. And then gradually, some, of course, I'm generalizing everybody, I know that, and that's a bit unfair, but nevertheless, within that generalization, the peril at the moment, and it's going to happen, United States, Canada, you will discover that the church as it's called, is going to divide into two. And many of the churches and many of the groups will surrender to a diluted gospel, a diluted word that accommodates sin and calls it by another name. And there are going to be those who will not allow the Lord to surrender them. They will be remaining in his love, in his justice, in his holiness. You know, I, I think about these things, and I'm not encouraging talking to you like this, that you just become biblicists, you know, mm-hmm. where you're whacking on verses of the Bible. I'm not encouraging that at all. And neither am I discountenancing or discounting the blessedness of Scripture. I'm saying that you and I must be built upon the rock and not depart from Him. And we must know that which is being burst from him in these days. And, uh, you know, it says here that the Lord surrendered them. They got to a point where the Lord surrendered them. I do not believe that North America has gotten to that point yet, but it's near it. It's near it. Where the Lord had surrendered. and I'm referring even to the churches. I don't believe yet they've come to the point. But they're near it. They're near it. Where the Lord has surrendered them. And it says here, verse 31, their rock is not like our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. I find this staggering. You know, I think of that man, that 83-year-old man, that this tragedy, these double tra- tragedy that had entered into their life, and, oh, dear, his rock was as sand. You understand what we're saying? Nothing solid, you know. And then I think of others, you know, uh, who've lost loved ones recently, people that I have met and talked to, you know, and and uh, their rock, their rock has been solid. Their ground has been solid. And of course, this is this is where we're at. I don't know how many of you, and I think of the Malaysian churches, my brothers and sisters, this present pandemic has been a gift from God to break up and give opportunity for pondering before God, of sifting our own hearts for the church to examine itself where fellowship has been removed from us and God has seen fit to give us this technology that we can utilize. And I guarantee that some of you that are on today have been more enriched in the last 12 or 15 months than you were in the last 12 years going along to your church. You've been more enriched because you've been slowed down. You've been meeting with brothers and sisters across the miles that you never knew existed. You have been hearing the word someone said to me today at the church where we just were. He said to me, oh, I've been listening to you on YouTube. And I said, oh, that's a surprise. He said, oh, such ministry. Haven't been hearing this for years. What an opportunity. This is what he said to me. And he's a leader of a group. And that's what he said to me. And, uh, you know, it's God is using this for us all. You know, it's, it's, it's tremendous. Um, you don't mind me, I'm just in a kind of story mode, I guess, partly this morning. But again, at our meeting this morning, we're not allowed to sing. We've all got our masks on. We're supposed to be socially distanced, which doesn't quite work. But, and we're one of the few churches that can meet because we, there's a building we can use and it hasn't been shut up to us and we can't sing. And so what they tend to do, the leader of the meeting says, well, we've chosen a couple of songs and we'll listen. And then if you want to, quietly you can sing along or hum. You know, you know how to hum, don't you? And so one of the songs that we sang this morning or that they put on was uh, Jesus, all for Jesus. How many of you know that one? Put your hands up. All I am and have and ever hope you know, a lovely song, and of course the band. It was on the CD, and it's coming through mm-hmm. through the, the system. And some people are singing, and their, their hands are up in the air. Not supposed to be, but never mind. And some were humming, and uh, some were sort of beating rhythm. And the sense of the Word of God, something rock-like. All for Jesus. I surrender now into your hands. And probably it went on for three three minutes. You know, there's only a couple of verses to it. Very simple song. And then, and I knew it straight away, what would happen. It's a recording from some conference somewhere. And sure enough, the musicians go on for another three minutes they go on, no voice, you know, some cryings out and this, that and the other. And the beat is there and the noise is there and people are getting into their feelings. And before you know it, that whole thing became manipulation from the pure word. And I said, you know, I didn't say anything at first, but I knew that we were just getting off it. That that whole conference had gone off it They'd gone off the pure word mm-hmm. And then one of the other brothers When at last it stopped And the sense of Those of us who have any spiritual sensitivity Knew that we were being manipulated Into a kind of mere feeling area And one of the brothers read a bit of a psalm Just clear mm-hmm. And the difference Immediately in my heart, I thought, thank you, Lord, your pure word, your pure word, not something that's just exciting a bunch of feelings in some gullible young people, manipulated by, by musicians, well-intended maybe, but the pure word, the pure word. You know... That, that song's got the pure word in it. And these are the things that are under scrutiny. These are the things that God is wanting us to examine. These are the things that he wants to screen out. He doesn't want to screen out music from the churches, but he wants to screen out the manipulative power of it, where people are just getting psyched up like a concert, and I could mention names to you uh, about this, you know, well, you know, intended names, you know, oh, famous names, mm-hmm. and you have to sift very carefully the stuff you're listening at. You have to sift it, and those of you who are musicians in your churches, you have to sift, and you who are pastors, do not. Do not, you pastors, abdicate your role. Do you know the famous brothers named John and Charles Wesley? You know that John was a great uh, doctrine man, a thinking man, a Bible man, and his brother Charles was an incredible artistic man, who wrote 3,000 hymns, I believe it was, some of them very long. Do you know that not one hymn was released for people to learn? Unless first Charles submitted it to his brother John. Because Charles knew that his brother John, and some of you have, you know, John knew the, the truth that could discern when there was going to be a line in it that had error. And some of you will have heard of a man, a British man, he must be well in his 60s now, named Graham Kendrick. And some of you might recall a song, it's a very beautiful one that is called, it's all to do with the incarnation of Jesus. Um, Meekness and majesty is the first line. And Graham Kendrick in one of his blogs said this. He said, I never submitted songs, except first I had a theologian friend who would examine it. And he said, I remember well, when I wrote meekness and majesty and I submitted it to my friend and he went through it and he said to me in such and such a verse and that line and that line. Did you really mean that in your poetic liberty? Did you really mean that? Why? Why? Because what you've just written is heresy about the person of Jesus you didn't mean that did you no no i don't want people to sing heresy about the person of jesus and so he had to examine those lines and as poets do change them bring the truth in so that people sing truth you see this is these are these are things coming back to being built upon the rock. Now, uh, I'm going to have to, of course, I knew it would be like this. And you might you might wonder, you know, when we talk about rock, I, I just want you to come with me um, and just, just think, you know, uh, in Exodus 33, and maybe we'll focus here for a few minutes, then I'll stop. But dear Moses, um, I'm sure you realize what a marvelous man he was. And you know how the whole existence of the people of God depended upon him. And I hope that you who are leaders will realize that. Those of you who have a burden for the church, you understand its continuance to a degree. The Lord Jesus wants to share with you his concerns. Oh, my church, my church, and dear Moses, of course. You know how he interceded, how he went up into the mountain, how he went up three times, how he was the one given the law, how he was the one who was there in the presence of God alone, alone. And I want to bring this home to us very much, especially do not fear being alone. Do not be, fear if your heart is being becoming concerned for the church. I'm not encouraging anyone here to be a complainer, a grumbler, or anything like that. I'm asking you to allow God to share his heart with you so that in you he gets an intercessor. In you he gets someone who's traveling. You, you know in birth. Paul says that about the Galatian churches. He says, I'm travailing again in birth for you. You know, and I'm not encouraging, of course, that we have lengthy prayers and interminable noises and so on. Sometimes the travail is like something that happened to me. I may have mentioned to you before, just a few weeks ago, when I'm awake, often in the middle of the night, I wake up and I'm, I'm awake for several hours, just laying there before the Lord. And this particular day or night, I woke and I had this great longing in my heart. And basically all I could say not like a mantra, but from time to time. Oh, Lord, dear Lord, the barriers must come down. The barriers must come down. And I was thinking about churches in our area. I was thinking about circumstances around about. I was thinking of brothers in leadership. I was thinking about all sorts of things, a little. But this was the repeated burden. Oh, Lord. The barriers must come down. They must come down. Now, I know that. That was all God wanted, that just because it's his heart, the barriers must come down. The bitternesses must go out of hearts. You know, some of us are carrying weights from long ago. You, you will have heard this phrase. I've certainly heard it in the past. There were two people who had no belly buttons. You know what a belly button is? You know, your navel. By the way, talking about navels. Anyway, no, I won't tell that joke. Um, but, um, you know, you know there's, there were two people who had no belly button. And who were they? Adam and Eve. They had no belly button. They'd, they'd come from the hand of God. So they could not say things like, oh, do you remember when you were three years old? Do you remember your first memory? Do, do, you, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? They, they couldn't talk like that about their past, could they? They couldn't. So as there were, they were there in the garden, in fellowship with God before the fall. All they could do was enjoy the now moment and the future. The promises of God, if they took time to think of them. You know, the commands of God that he had given them. You know, they only had future. They only had future. They only had future. They had now and future. No past. Hallelujah. Very important. They knew they'd come from the hand of God. They had not, f- well, and then into the garden came the serpent. And you know, they began to forget God, their rock, the one from whom they had come. And of course, you can remember, of course, I'm sure that uh, many of us carry the weights of our past. And uh, we shouldn't. Jesus came. You know that we should have a new beginning and in in this sense have no belly button. It's a new birth from our rock. Very important, very important. And do <clears throat> you know? If you're carrying the burdens of bitterness, if you're carrying the burdens of the past failures, if you're carrying, you must let your heart be washed. I must let my heart be cleansed of those things, for God does not remember your sins and iniquities. I remember no more. Ah, so important that we grasp to go on forward and you know Moses when he intercedes with God when the people go wrong he keeps bringing this Reaffirmation, oh God, you promised, oh God, you're our rock, oh God, oh God, you brought us out, oh God, you must finish what you have begun, oh God. And He's there, and God has a friend, God has a friend, God has an intercessor, God has a man who is there before Him. And in Exodus, you know, there is a very famous chapter. And it's up here uh, at the end of chapter Exodus 32. And, you know, we'll finish with this. We'll get to the rod and uh, and so on. He was so conscious of rebellion. And uh, this is what it says. Um, I think it's amazing how the Lord speaks. And he says... These people, right at the end of chapter 32, Moses returned to the Lord, verse 31, and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin, and they have made for themselves a, a god, a god of gold. Yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore go and lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Those of you who are leaders and pastors, hear this word, won't you? Now therefore go and lead this people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people. There are consequences because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. And so you move through chapter 33. I'll send my angel before you, verse 2. I haven't changed my mind. I'll drive out the Canaanite. Verse 3, go up to the land. And then go on toward the end of chapter 33. The people of God saw the pillar of cloud, verse 10, standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Then you go on further down. And Moses, you say to me, verse 12, you see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know who you will send with me. Dear Moses, dear Moses. Verse 13. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. I love the way that Moses is in such fellowship with God, travailing, traveling, traveling, traveling. And then this is what it's all about. And then you come here, where dear Moses says in verse 18. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord says to him this. Verse 21. The Lord said. Here's a place by me. you'll stand on the rock. Come on, there's a place by me. Come and stand on the rock, people of God, people of God in the United States. Come and stand on the rock, there's a place by me. People in Australia, alone, some of you, with little fellowship, I know that, in Melbourne, in Perth. You know, I think of different ones scattered here and there. God says to you, there is a place by me. Come and stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen I don't want to talk about that particularly except there's a place for you in the rock and Moses needed this because there's going to be 38 years ahead for Moses 38 difficult years 38 difficult years in the wilderness Thirty-eight years, where he's going to be sorely tried, tried, and he's going to have difficulties with the people. And Moses needed this desperately. Come and stand by me on the rock, and I'll put you in the rock. And the, he, he needed to know his ground, that the ground was not Bible verses, the ground was God, God who changes not, God who, you understand what we're saying, that precious fellowship with God and God took his hand away so that that which was right to Mo- for Moses in his day to see of God. God took his hand away so that he could see it. And I, I know that God is calling us, calling me, calling you into this realm of intercession where we stand on the rock, which is him, and where we are where he takes his hand away in the processes of life and he will show to you of his nature such as you need to see every step. Every step. Every step. So that we are people of the rock because they're going to fall to the left and to the right you're going to have believers that you have known and they're going to fall to the left and the right. And you're going to see this world system trying to establish its own rock again. You know, the social justice rock, the rock of socialism, you think of the Chinese people, that many of you are of Chinese, Hakka background, Hokkien, um, you know Cantonese, different, different dialects and areas and you've come from there. And you know what's happening to your brothers and sisters after the flesh over there in China, that they are constructing a rock. Are they not? They're, it's brick, just like Jericho was built of brick. And they're constructing their economic rock. They're constructing their political rock. This amazing, charismatic premier that they've put in place. You know, they're constructing their rock. And uh, so few, they're completely deceived. They think this rock is stone, but it's sand, really, congealed sand. You know, it's an amazing thing. And in the midst of China, there are millions, aren't there, who their lives are built on the rock god and they've been tempted and they've been tried very much by materialism and the things that are coming in to the united states it's defied to the uh, to china that because there's plenty around when i first went to china you hardly saw a car to speak of and then suddenly as the years went by all these big black four-wheel drives as wealth came in and some of the things in the stores in places we went to were more expensive than they were in 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 the, in the the united states or the uk or australia and the lord's people being tempted to build on another rock and it's really just sand all the promises are just sand and so you can understand that we must pray for brothers and sisters in China who are in that sort of temptation. So it's not just the United States; it's not just Europe. You know? Did you know that they just released two pastors from prison in Canada? I'm sure you Canadians know. Um, you know that just released; they just incarcerated them in prison temporarily, and. You know, it, it's an amazing, amazing thing. Australia, the same. You know, and in these days. Here, I guess this is a message for those of us who are a little further on in years, who are beginning to share God's burden. Who have gotten through our complaining stage. And our belly aching stage. And our grumbling stage. And we're, we're coming into that place where we're letting God put us on the rock. There's a place by me on the rock. And then I'll pass by you and I'll take hold of you and I'll put you in that cleft of the rock and I will hide you there and I'll, I'll, I'll take my hand away so you can see me. You can see me. Just enough than what you need to see. I needn't tell you about the cleft of the rock, do I? You know, I don't need to tell you about Jesus' cleft Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy ribbon side which flowed be of sin, the double cure. Hide me from its guilt and power. So, with that I finish, I think, an exhortation and its encouragement, profoundly simple. Isn't that a, a wonderful thing to say? Profound means deep. And yet I said it's profoundly simple. Truth always is. And here we are. We'll come on another time to the, the rod and the smitten rock and all that another time amen baby i think i should stop i think i've been going for an hour and 10 minutes and that's enough amen amen